simple thoughts to share with you this evening out of the Word of God. Second Kings chapter 20, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 12. Second Kings chapter 20, verse number 12. We covered a little bit of this on Monday night. Uh, this passage of Scripture, this account, is also contained in the book of Isaiah. But I want us to read it here in Second Kings 20, and I want us to notice something in the Word of God, and I want to take it and apply it to our lives. Second Kings chapter 20, verse number 12. The Bible says, At that time, Baradoc Baladin, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah. Hezekiah is the king of Judah. For he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto king Hezekiah, and said unto him, What said these men, and from whence came they unto thee? Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house, and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day, shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. It appears this shocks Isaiah to hear him respond this way, because he then says, Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? Let's stop there and let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be here in your house. I pray for these requests, first and foremost, that have been given, Lord, that you would answer them according to thy will. And Lord, we, we put these things on paper because they weigh heavy on our hearts. Lord, they matter to us. And I know if they matter to us, they matter to you. You're touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We can cast our care upon you for you care for us. So we bring these petitions to you and ask you to work in these matters. Do it in such a way that we'd see your hand evidently, that we might be able to praise you boldly. I pray that you'd be with the teaching and the truth of the word of God tonight. Bless the preaching. And Lord, I pray that your will would be done in us. Teach us from your word. Grow us in your word, Lord, and make us more like Christ. And help us to be honest and sincere as we hear it this evening. Lord, we love you. and We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. To give you a little bit of context to this passage of Scripture, Hezekiah, the king of Judah, has gone through one of the great crises of his life. Uh, when we studied this on Monday evening in Apollo's course, looking at chapters 36, 37, 38, and 39, they comprise sort of a little trilogy of, of episodes of historic narrative right in the middle of the book of Isaiah. And there are sort of three stories that are contained within this little trilogy of, of scenes and, and of histories that's being told. The first is that of the uh, affliction or the, uh, the besieging of Jerusalem by the Assyrians, a man by the name of Rabshakeh, who is the general, one of the generals for Sennacherib, the uh, Assyrian emperor, marches the Assyrian army to the gates of Jerusalem and lays siege to it. And then he begins to stand outside the gates and to berate the children of Israel and to blaspheme the God of glory and begins to taunt them to suggest that there's no way that God could deliver them. 
Bible tells us that Hezekiah goes to the Lord, he prays, he seeks God's help. God gives answer back that there's going to be a rumor that's going to be spread about that will cause a Rabshakeh to turn about and to depart from the gates of Jerusalem. It happens just as God said it would. Funny, all the things that God says will happen, happen just the way he says they will. And uh, a rumor is, is set forth that the king of Ethiopia is marching against the Assyrians. So Rabshakeh leaves the army of Assyria there outside the walls and departs and goes back to a place called Lachish or Lachish, which is a uh, suburb in Judah where Sennacherib is still encamped and trying to sort of uh, finish up and, and, and get rid of any sort of open ties that were left before he marches himself upon Jerusalem. And uh, he goes to Sennacherib and tells him this news that the king of Ethiopia is getting ready to march upon him. And so Sennacherib sends a threatening letter to Hezekiah, basically saying, there's no chance of you withstanding us. Go ahead and surrender. Give us the city and we'll let you live because there's no way you can survive otherwise. Well, the Bible tells us that Hezekiah takes this letter, goes up into the house of the Lord and presents it before the Lord. And the Lord answers in mighty fashion. You've no doubt read it and studied it before, how that the angel of the Lord goes out and slays 185,000 Assyrians in the wall outside the walls of Jerusalem. God gives great deliverance in that scene. So that's the first sort of episode of that historical narrative. The second involves Hezekiah being stricken with an illness unto death. If you want my perspective, and I don't know that that's what you came for, but it's my opinion that the sickness that Hezekiah experiences is between the departure of Rabshakeh to go back to Sennacherib to give him this news about the king of Ethiopia and when Rabshakeh returns with the letter from the king of Assyria, the Assyrian emperor Sennacherib. Because the Bible tells us that one of the reasons that Hezekiah beseeches the Lord is because he wants to go up to the house of the Lord. And I believe the reason is he wants to take this letter and present it to God and ask God's intervention for this great army that is on their doorstep. But Hezekiah, the Bible says, is sick unto death. And God tells him, Hezekiah, set your house in order. You're going to die. Hezekiah pleads to the Lord, asks him to forgive him of his sin, to restore him to health. And God does that very thing. In fact, as a sign of this miracle, he literally turns the clock back. He causes the shadow of the sundial to retreat backwards 15 degrees. And that denoting that God had granted back to him 15 years. The story of this miracle seems to spread far and wide because that sets the scene for uh, this passage of Scripture and the opening verse. Notice it with us. At that time, Baradak Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. When Isaiah records this in Isaiah chapter uh, 39, he says that he had been sick and had recovered. The word of this miracle had spread far and wide. And Baradoc Baladin wants to meet with the man risen from the dead, restored to life, and grant him and give him a gift. This third episode, the receiving of the Babylonian emissaries, closes out this little historical narrative in the book of Isaiah. But I'm not interested in Isaiah's account. I'm not interested even really, although we'll use our text to examine some facts about it, the most instructive passage of scripture about this event that happens is actually found in second chronicles listen to what second chronicles 32 31 says about this business of the ambassadors coming to hezekiah 
says, Howbeit in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. In other words, the person pinning down this fact in Second Chronicles chapter 32 notes that in Hezekiah's life, this was not merely a moment of temptation or a moment of duress, but this was God trying to reveal something to Hezekiah about who Hezekiah is. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight, all that was in his heart. And I wonder if we were honest enough to look at our actions and decisions and to take at face value the commentary that that makes about us, our character, and our commitment. I wonder what God could show us about who we are. Let me make a few statements before I get to our points tonight. Uh, as a point of clarification, I want to I want to describe what the Bible means when the Bible says God left him. Now, there's oftentimes when you study in the Bible and read commentators, they'll make a great distinction between the status of the believer in New Testament grace versus the status of Old Testament believers in regard to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and God's perpetual presence. Uh, for instance, there's a passage of Scripture where David uh, prays and asks the Lord not to take away his Holy Spirit from him, Mr. Schofield, and I like a Schofield Bible. I use a Schofield Bible, not really because of Schofield or even the things he says. I just like how it's laid out. But Mr. Schofield in his notes says that the New Testament believer never need to pray this because the Spirit of God is with us always. Well, that's certainly true that the Spirit of God is with us always. It's certainly true that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. But I think the same God that's the God of the New Testament was the God of the Old Testament. And I don't think when it says, when uh, David says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, I don't think David is suggesting that God is going to abandon him altogether. But what he's saying is, I want the power of God in my life. And I want the intimate fellowship that I have with God in my life. And while it's certainly true that we never need to worry about God leaving us in an explicit sense, I do think even what God did here, God still does today. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me make a few statements. Number one, God did not forsake Hezekiah. When you read this passage of Scripture, it's apparent that God's hand is all over everything that's transpired. And, you know, an omnipresent God really can't forsake any place altogether anyway. God is always with us. And God was not blind to what Hezekiah was going through, and he had not forsaken him. When it says he left him, it doesn't mean that he forsook him or that God was not present in his life. Certainly we can say with the Hebrews writer, let your conversation be without covetousness, for as much as it is written, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God will never forsake you and I. But God didn't forsake Hezekiah either. Let me say number two, not only did God not forsake him, but God did not forfeit him. If we're not careful, what we'll read in this passage, it makes it seem like God left him out on a limb and just allowed him to do something that would destroy his life. It almost sounds, if we're not careful, like God turned him over and gave him up and just quit on him. But you know, God never quits on anybody. God doesn't quit on you. God doesn't quit on me. And he didn't quit on Hezekiah. It's not suggesting that he no longer cared about Hezekiah. It's not suggesting that he somehow surrendered Hezekiah up to the will of Satan. But then we have to ask this question, what does it mean? And I would say it this way. God did not forsake him and God did not forfeit him. But God also did not forestall him from doing what was truly in his heart to do. And this is true for you and I even this very day. 
I can't imagine the times in my life that God has providentially prevented me from getting in situations that would have caused the destruction of my life. I mean, God, knowing my weakness, knowing my my temptations, knowing my frailty, just didn't even allow me to get into a situation where I would make a mess of things. I've learned with my kids, there's some things you got to cut it off before it ever even gets started. And there's some things you don't put them in the in the situation and then say, well, make your own decisions for yourself. That's what they got parents for. That's why they have parents is to keep them from having to make decisions they're not equipped to make yet. Because they are not of a emotional or mental or spiritual maturity to be making those decisions. Great destruction is done in a child's life when we try to treat a child like an adult. Because they're not that yet. If they were, they wouldn't need you or me. Uh, instead, they need to be treated as children. They need to be loved and nurtured and, and brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And uh, with my children, there's been times I knew if I put them in that situation... It would have been me that would have been at fault and not them. And I imagine myself, there's a great many times that God has not allowed me to get into a situation because he knew what it would bring. But I would also say this, that when we set our heart to do something, God's given us free will. He's given us free agency. God's not playing word games with the idea of our autonomy. He allows us to make our choices in life. God's sovereignty does not negate our free will agency We all have the choice whether we want to do right or whether we want to do wrong. And if we set our heart to do something wrong, God will not stop us from doing. He will allow us to do what is in our hearts to do. And so that's what I think it means when it says God left him. Not only it means God abandoned him, that he forsook him, that he forfeit him, but he he could have, God could have said, I won't let you get in that situation. But he said, Hezekiah, I know what your heart is and I won't prevent you from doing what I know you desire to do. So what can we say about this moment in Hezekiah's life? Well, I would say, number one, we could say it was a moment of temptation. You know, we're all tempted. That's what the Bible says. Every man is tempted. Every man is tempted. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. I don't care who you are. We all are tempted in life. And for Hezekiah, this was a moment of temptation. Would he be vigilant? Would he be sober? Would he be circumspect? Or he would throw caution to the wind and allow his pride to cause him to make a major blunder. Well, we learn from our text what he did. It was a moment of temptation, but it was also a moment of failure. He failed the test. God was trying him. In other words, God was testing him. God was permitting him to go down this path, not so that God could learn something, but so that Hezekiah could learn something. And Hezekiah failed the test. He yielded to temptation. I can't tell you the numbers of times in my life I've failed the test. God's given me opportunity and I've blown it. I mean, I've done the wrong thing. And that's what Hezekiah does here. But here's what we learn from Second Chronicles 32. God left him to try him. And here's why, that he, Hezekiah, not the Lord, the Lord already knew everything in Hezekiah's heart. That Hezekiah, that he might know all that was in his heart. It was a moment of temptation, it was a moment of failure, but it was also a moment of discovery. It was a moment where Hezekiah could learn something about Hezekiah. Now, I want to be very clear with what I'm about to preach tonight. I'm not advocating anybody yield to sin and temptation so that you can go on some journey of self-discovery. You'll always be the better for choosing right and not choosing wrong. You'll always be the better for choosing the Lord instead of choosing self. But I will point this out tonight, that every time we've yielded to temptation in our life, it teaches us something about who and what we are. 
And it revealed some things about Hezekiah, some weaknesses in his life. And a prudent man, a wise man, hey, listen, everybody makes mistakes, but the wise learn from them. You're going to make mistakes in life. You're going to fail. But wisdom is learning from those things and taking the lessons from them. So what did he learn was in his heart? And what when we sin do we learn is lurking in the wickedness of our heart? I know you hear people say all the time, well, they just got a good heart. They're a good-hearted person. And uh, that's not true. That's not true of anyone. Uh, the heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Your heart is not good. My heart is not good. It's wicked. It's deceitful. Uh, that's why we don't follow our heart. Because our heart will always lead us astray. We follow the Word of God and the Spirit of God as He applies it. Because our heart is desperately wicked. If we looked in our heart in sincerity, what would we discover? Well, I want you to notice three things that I think Hezekiah discovered. Let me say number one tonight. I think he discovered his values when he looked in his heart. Think about the first two verses. The Bible says at that time, Baradoc Baladin, the son of Baladin. By the way, everybody's having all these babies. I'm just saying there's more Bible names than Rebecca. Amen. I mean, whatever, you know. Baradoc Baladin ain't a bad one. Amen. It might be tough to scream that when they're in trouble, but, you know, uh, Baradoc Baladin, the son of Baladin, we just have too much fun on a Wednesday night. Here, I, you, you're thinking I'm preaching a sermon, then I go do foolishness like that. Baradoc Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Now, on the face of it, that just simply seems like the polite disposition of a ruler that is receiving emissaries from a neighboring kingdom. But I want you to stop and think about who Hezekiah is and what he has just been through. I mean, you understand that he has just had the Assyrian army on his doorstep getting ready to destroy him and to take away all of these precious things. I don't know how you'd respond. I don't know how I'd respond. But I'm going to venture a guess that we'd probably all be a little skittish about receiving strangers into our house if the siege had just recently been lifted. We would probably all be a little suspicious, a little circumspect, a little cautious. But we find that whenever he receives this letter and the attention of another world ruler, that that is enough to distract him away from the obvious present danger that is set before him. And what Hezekiah does is he leverages the goodness of God that God has given in his life against the choices that he's making. And here's what he decides. It's worth risking all that God's done if I can inflate my ego and enjoy the presence of these ambassadors. You know, funny thing, when we allow sin in our life, it tells us something about what we treasure. It tells us something about what's important to us. It tells us something about what we value in our lives. Value is an interesting concept. We're seeing the outer limits of it being tested in our society and economy on a daily basis. You know, a lot of what's broken in our society is your dollar ain't worth anything anymore, and nobody wants to admit that. Because it's like if you admit that, all of a sudden the emperor truly does have no clothes, 
And we have to admit that the dollar that we thought had value all of a sudden has been gutted by inflationary tactics of a runaway government. Nobody wants to admit that. We all just want to continue to pretend as though the dollar in our pocket is worth the same thing that it was worth five years ago. But dollar is a very flexible, or value is a very flexible concept. There can be something that's worth a lot to you that ain't worth nothing to anybody else. And there can be a lot that's worth something to somebody else that ain't worth nothing to you. And I would say that one of the defining characteristics of a biblical worldview is having a biblical set of values. Valuing the things that God says are important. You want to know how biblical you are? How interested are you in the things that God is interested in? You would think these precious things that God had blessed them with, no doubt it involved Hezekiah's personal or governmental riches, but no doubt it also included things that would have been included within the treasury of the house of God. Certainly, uh, some 150 years later, when the Babylonians do finally besiege and sack Jerusalem, they don't just take away the treasures of the king's house, they take away the things of God's house as well. And all this began on this day when he valued his pride above the good things of God. You know, in our lives, when we yield to sin, we learn that we really don't value the things of God the way that we'd like to imagine we do. Say, preacher, what kind of precious things has God given us? Well, his fellowship, his power in our lives, the sweetness of his communion, the, 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 the safeguarding of his boundaries in our life. You know, God don't put boundaries in your life because he's bored. He does it because he loves you and he cares about you and he knows what's best for you. The, the precious custodianship of the good things of God that God's given us, the stewardship of the, of the responsibilities that we have in life. Hey, listen, it's a precious thing that God's given me a wife to lead and, and children to lead. It's precious that God's given me a, a, an office and a space to serve Him in the local church. That's no small mean thing. That's no trivial thing. And when I allow sin in my life, here's what I learned. I learned that Toby don't really think as high of the things of God as he'd like to proclaim he does. I learned that at times I value the things of this world and the things of the flesh more than I do the things of God. Now you say, preacher, is that really how you feel about it in your personal life? Well, I would say this, that we all are a bit of a dichotomy. There's the old man and the new man. And I will tell you, the new man puts a high, high price tag on the things of God, but the flesh has no regard for it. He cannot listen. He he doesn't receive the things of God. They're spiritually discerned. And the flesh and our yielding to the flesh is providing a low appraisal of all of God's blessings in our life. Here's what we're saying. We're saying, God, you're not enough. I need sin to make me happy. God, you're not enough. I need the flesh to make me happy. God, you're not enough. I need self to make me happy. When we allow sin in our life, it teaches us something about our values. Notice not only did he discover something about his values, but look at verse 14. The Bible says, Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah, and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, I want you to think about what he says and how he says. They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. I don't know that Hezekiah understood the significance of that phrase far country when he said it. We learn about another far country in Luke chapter number 15. We learn about a young man leaving the father's house and going into a far country. Here in uh, 2 Kings chapter 20, we learn about the far country coming to the father's house. And Hezekiah welcomes these men in. And Isaiah said to him, what have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, all the things that are in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. 
I'm just going to say it right out. I wonder if it sounded as dumb to Hezekiah when he said it out loud as it does to me as I read it. I mean, you understand in that moment how foolish an action this truly was. I often think about, it's apt to happen to any of us, I suppose, but I often think about people that are taken in by over the phone and online scammers and things like, I mean, Sure, the deposed prince of Nigeria emailed you and wanted to entrust you with two and a half million dollars. Why wouldn't that happen, right? You know, I mean, that's just a thing they do, isn't it? And uh, But there's people that in that moment, it seemed like the smart thing to do. They get taken in by that. Now, before you laugh at those people, think about how foolish we are that we believe the devil's lies. We know who and what he is. And listen, we're not pagans sitting out in the middle of a field somewhere wondering if there's a God behind the sun. We know the devil. We know God's goodness. We know the devil is the father of lies. We understand that he seeks to destroy us. And here's what Hezekiah no doubt learned. I hope he learned it because here's Hezekiah allowing these men, these foreign emissaries, these hostile actors to come into his home. And he don't just welcome them in. He gives them the grand tour of every valuable thing in his in his life. Here's something he discovered. He discovered something about his vulnerability. He discovered that even the king can play the fool when the devil gets in the middle of it. He learned that even somebody that had just went through a trial and seen the faithfulness of God's hand and seen God's care over him could be susceptible to falling to foolish vulnerability, to foolish decisions, even after that great hand and working of God in his life. He learned this. Nobody's above it. And you know what you learn when you allow sin in your life? You learn ain't nobody above it. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how much doctrine you have filed away and how much theology you have sorted out. Every one of us are susceptible to allow sin into our lives. Now you might say, well, preacher, how could Hezekiah have known? Well, it's interesting you asked that. I'm glad you did. Because when you study through the book of Isaiah, you'll find out that a large portion of Isaiah is devoted to prophecies concerning Babylon. It's one of the great miracles of predictive prophecy is that God foretold that the Babylonians would be the ones that would carry Judah away into captivity. When Isaiah pinned that down, the Babylonians were a backwater nation. They were insignificant at the time. It was unthinkable that the Babylonians would be the ones. But you see, Hezekiah had a choice. He could believe the cultural winds that were blowing, or he could bedrock his decisions upon the foundation of God's infallible word. And there, faced with those Babylonian emissaries, he had a decision to be made. Do I believe all of the things that God's word has said about this nation or do I go with my gut, my instinct, my intuition and my advice from my counselors and welcome them in? You see, it's easy to say, well, he couldn't have known, but he could have known. And it's easy to say, well, he shouldn't have known, but he should have known. And he, if he had been uh, putting his faith in the word of God and allowing the Bible to form his biblical worldview, he would have seen when those men came up the driveway coiled serpents and dangerous scorpions. He would have said, it don't matter how nice they look, these, their children and grandchildren are going to carry away my grandchildren 
And he would have sent them walking. But he learned this. It doesn't matter who you are. We all are susceptible. The devil has our number. He knows what button to push. Our flesh will tell him if he doesn't know. Our flesh will telegraph the things that we are susceptible to. There are certain things probably never tempt you once in your life. But there are other things that are just your sort of temptation. And I don't care who you are. We are all vulnerable. And the moment you think you will not fall is the moment you will fall. The moment you think you have outgrown it is the moment you will see how spiritually stunted you are. The moment you think you are beyond it is the moment you fall beneath it. And he would have learned when he looked at this, his vulnerability. And I, I trust we, when we look at the fact that even, hey, listen, I've been, I've been saved for 25 years of my life. And no doubt there's people in this room wearing shoes longer than that. Amen. But there's probably people in this room been saved 40 years and 50 and 60 years. But it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. We are all we have, that flesh ain't no more saved today than it was the day we got born again. That flesh is just as wicked, just as rotten, just as corrupt, just as prone to iniquity as it's always been. It would pay us to recognize our vulnerability. But then I want you to look at verse 16 through 19. I'll be done. The Bible says this and Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house. And that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, let me pause there for a moment. Do you understand that the threat that was just placed upon him, upon his grandchildren, was the very threat that he had been facing probably not several months beforehand? He had been faced with a hostile army at the doorstep. And the prospect of him being taken into captivity, his wife being being abused, his children uh, being abused, his 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 family being destroyed, him being led and 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 left in prison or possibly executed, the utter destruction and violation of all that he had was what he was facing. And in that moment. He was so distressed and disturbed that he sought the Lord and begged God and God, you've got to do something and I need your help and I need your rescue. And he came and he took the letter and he laid it before the Lord and begged God. See, he was willing to do all that stuff when it was him. But now the word of the Lord has come and said, Hezekiah, it won't be you, but your children and your grandchildren and your great grandchildren, your descendants, they're going to pay for what you've done on this day. They're going to be carried into captivity. They're going to be destroyed because of this. Great affliction and heartache will befall your descendants because of what you've done. I don't know, but I'd like to think all of us would have fell to our knees and begged God for mercy. I'd like to think we would have all said, no, that's terrible. I can't imagine my family going through that. I can't imagine my children going through that. I can't imagine my grandchildren facing that. God, please, no, help me. God, please forgive me. God, rescue me. What did Hezekiah say? Verse 19. He said this. Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. That's shocking. So how do you know it's shocking, preacher? Because it shocked Isaiah. So preacher, how do you know it shocked Isaiah? Because of the way Hezekiah responds. It appears to me that this is what happened. Hezekiah said this unto Isaiah. Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And it seems like that response left Isaiah speechless. It seems as though he probably looked at him aghast at the callousness of what he had just said. Because he then says, is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? 
What a shocking reply. What a shocking response. Here's what he learned. He discovered something about his uh, about his values. He discovered something about his vulnerability. But he also discovered something about his vanity, his selfishness. And here's what he learned. The flesh only cares for the moment and doesn't care a thing about what it does to others, even to others that we love. The reason he responded this way, he was saying, well, at least I won't have to see it. Well, at least I won't have to deal with it. Yeah, it's going to destroy many lives, but at least I won't have to deal with the consequences. Now, before you judge him too harshly, do you understand that every single one of us, when we allow sin into our lives, exhibits that same level of selfishness and self-centeredness? What we say is, sure, it'll hurt my kids, but that don't matter. This is what I want to do. Sure, it'll hurt my spouse, but that don't matter. This is what I want to do. Sure, it'll hurt my church, but that don't matter. This is what I want to do. Sure, it'll hurt my Savior, but that don't matter. This is what I want to do. All that matters is that things are good in my days. Every sin we commit is a trade of the future for the present. We're saying, I want this moment of enjoyment, whatever it may be. I want this moment of satisfaction, whatever it may be rather than having the blessing of God upon me, my family, my church, my descendants. It's shocking. I hope it is. But here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to be shocked by it in Hezekiah. I want to be shocked by it in you. I want me to be shocked by it in me. Because every time we yield to sin, we're introducing some destructive element and eventual consequence into our life. So, oh, preacher, you don't know my God. He's merciful. Oh, I do know your God, and I know he is merciful. But you understand that sin has consequences even outside of the negative effect it has on our relationship with the Lord. I mean, you understand God can forgive you of the things that you do, but that don't undo them. God can forgive you of the things that you say, but that don't unsay them. God can forgive you of the things that you see, but that don't mean you unsee them. And the choices that we make in our life, they affect our spouses, our children, our loved ones, our families, our mothers, our fathers, our churches. They affect everyone around us. We can pretend like they don't, but they do. And here's what sin says. Sin says, I don't care if it affects you, long as it don't affect me. He said, but preacher, God's merciful. You know, he'll forgive me. That's true. And you may never have to feel the personal consequence of the choices that you've made. But somebody will. Somebody will have to face it. I'm not advocating that any of us engage in sin to learn anything. Thank God we've got a Bible. We don't have to learn it by experience. We can learn it by exhortation. But I am saying this, knowing that you and I, hey, if any man uh, say he hath no sin, he lies and does not the truth. Hey, we all sin. And I will tell you this, that one of the things we should learn from that reality and fact in our life is just how vain, just how vulnerable And just how weak our values sometimes grow in that moment of temptation. Say, preacher, that's not all Hezekiah was. No, praise God, it's not all Hezekiah was. He was a good man. He was a good king. He did a lot of great things. But this story stands as a stain on his testimony and also as an example to you and I of how we too likewise in our lives can sell the precious things of God for a moment of satisfaction, for a bolstering of our ego, or a jockeying for position, 
And we can allow the good things of God to be carried away into destruction, to be wasted and squandered because we yielded and failed in the moment of temptation. I hope that we'll all take to heart these lessons. There might be something in your life that you'd look at and say, you know, preacher, God's been trying to show me that, but I've fought him tooth and toenail. But I know now I need to just agree with God about it and I need to recognize and learn that truth about myself. And I hope if that's true, I hope you'll do that this evening. Let's bow together. Father, I love you. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word, for the truth of it. I pray, Lord, that you bless this invitation. Lord, that you would have perfect liberty to work in hearts and in lives. Lord, to teach us, to show us, to grow us. And Lord, help us to be honest about the weaknesses of our life, about the propensities of our life, and how desperately we need you day by day. Lord, I love you, and I ask it in Christ's name.